Guys, this is Joe just popping in to ask if you've signed up for your free marketing consultation with MDT Marketing yet. If you haven't, head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, get your free consultation today. Don't do it alone. Find the right partner. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience Podcast, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. This is Dr. Joe Salusio, your host for the evening or daytime or middle of the day, depending on uh, when you listen to this. I am going to, uh, at the beginning of these episodes, if you're a, a regular listener of the EdUp Experience, um, you'll know that uh, recently we passed our 70,000, seven, let me try that again, Seventy thousandth download, which is pretty incredible for us. Uh, we've now passed 73,000 downloads of our podcast episodes, 90 college presidents, bringing you all of the opinions you need to hear uh, and innovations going on within higher ed. Please head to Apple Podcasts, take five minutes, give us a rating and review. All you have to do is go to your podcast app on your Apple phone or Android. Um, obviously look up our uh, podcast. You can do that uh, on the internet as well on your Safari or whatever browser you have. Give us a five-star rating, write us a review. What did you think of the podcast? What do you want to hear about? What questions should we ask? Um, do you hate it? Do you like me? Do you hate me? Do you like Liz? Probably nobody hates her, uh, but I will tell you, she is not here today. So I'm going to be running this one uh, uh, by myself, but I have to tell you, my guest, he's ready. He's willing and he is able, ladies and gentlemen. And his name is Dr. John W. Wells, and he is president of Emory and Henry College. John, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for the invitation to be here. I told you before the episode started that I was going to do a bit of rambling. I think I came through on that before I brought you into the episode. <laughs> but now it's your turn. John, talk to us about Emory and Henry College. Assume that we have a listener that has never heard of Emory and Henry. Where are you? What do you guys do? How do you do it? Give us the once over. You bet. Well, thank you so much. Emory and Henry College uh, was founded in 1836. We're in Southwest Virginia. So we're in the, uh, the mountainous parts of the state. And uh, we're the oldest, uh, oldest institution of higher learning in Southwest Virginia. And um, we're named after Patrick Henry and uh, Bishop John Emory. So the same, uh, the same Bishop John Emory who, uh, uh, was uh, that Emory University is named after. Uh, we're, we're named after that same person. And uh, I always like to point out uh, our charter is a couple of months older than Emory University. So we were the first Emory. <laughs> but I like when you throw, you throw that in, it really makes a statement. I like that. <laughs> That's right. But uh, we, do serve, uh, we do serve this region. Most of our students are from the Commonwealth of Virginia, but also uh, North Carolina and Tennessee. Uh, are uh, very much uh, uh, part of our student body as well. Awesome. So, um, so I'm going to ask you like a hard, you know, get it kind of just get you warmed up by asking you two part questions, right? Um, uh, this is one where we get a sense of your personality. Sometimes I remember to ask this, sometimes I don't. But, but John, if you were going to walk into a room, every time a song was going to be playing, playing over the loudspeaker, your entrance music, if you will, tell me what song would be playing. Oh my, that's uh, we were ready that, for that one, were you? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I wasn't uh, wasn't ready for that. Uh, I'll take um, uh, Moonrise Serenade uh, by Glenn Miller. It's uh, it's nice. It's calm. It's very familiar. 
Uh, president needing calm music. I like that. I like that. <laughs> during, these, uh, like during these days, we'll take all the calm we can get. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talk, um, John, around, <clears throat> excuse me, private colleges and universities, particularly those offering liberal, art, liberal arts. I cannot talk today, John. You're going to have to give me a hard time after this is over. Uh, offering a liberal arts education, being in, um, and, and I say this with, uh, uh, you know, an aggregator of information, whether it's through guests or whether it's through prognosticators or quote unquote higher thought leaders saying that the liberal arts private universities are in the most trouble because of cost, because of value proposition, because of a lack of interest and so on. What do you say? I mean, you're, you're out there, you're leading a private liberal arts college and, um, you know, in Washington County and in uh, Southwest Virginia, How's it going? What do you think about those statements and those questions from higher ed thought leaders about the viability of private institutions? Well, that's, you know, we've certainly heard those kinds of uh, stories before and predictions uh, about private colleges going away or, or being under stress. And, and to be sure, there are challenges, but there's, there's challenges all across higher education, period. Um, but I would say this uh, about liberal arts colleges. One of the things that we need to do uh, is to continue to own the fact that the world really does need uh, graduates from college who bring a multi-perspectival view of the world. And uh, there's nothing like reading literature and reading philosophy and religion and, and uh, all of the other humanities and social sciences, coupled with um, you know, being trained in, uh, in natural sciences and the, and the scientific method. There's nothing uh, that the world needs more than that. I mean, I think uh, for two things uh, very quickly, uh, I think in an economy that is uh, increasingly based upon the ability to communicate and the ability to perceive things in a different way, um, the liberal arts gives us the ability to do that. Uh, and then I think the other is, is uh, simply from a civic standpoint. Um, you know, if, if we are to understand each other and to live together in a democracy, we're going to have to appreciate where each other comes from, and uh, we're going to have to uh, be able to communicate with each other and, and uh, with different people and, and different backgrounds. And uh, a liberal arts education gives, gives one a very rich appreciation for uh, the diversity and the pluralism of the world. And uh, so I think in, in many ways, um, liberal arts colleges are facing a critique that they're too expensive uh, and that uh, they really face a strong headwind. And yet uh, the reality is we've never had a time where liberal arts colleges are needed more. I, I love that. I love that you said that because, you know, I, I always feel like there's, there's diverging messages within higher education. Cause you know, you know, very well, John, with your hand on the pulse that there's this camp or group of folks or whatever questioning the value of higher education, talking about ROI, talking about the skills to jobs, all so important. And every, we, we, we as higher education professionals have to be focused on all of those things. Like, you know, students want to get a job and, and they need the skills to get that job. But if you're so focused only on skills to job, you miss leadership. Uh, uh, you miss certain parts of training and character development and, and, um, uh, what uh, 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 cultural understanding that's important to be leaders in industries where you might get that job. 
that's where liberal arts education comes in. And I agree with you. It's never been more important. I, you know, if you're going to build the leaders of the 21st century amidst all of the computer and tech and AI, the one thing that we need to know better than we do right now is how to deal with each other, how to lead people, how to communicate with different people. And that's what a liberal arts education does and why I think um, a lot of those uh, 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 predictions are wrong because I think we're going to see that liberal arts private institution redefine itself in certain ways. And so I really appreciate that you said that because I think you're right. And I think that uh, conversely, though, yes. I, I, I know you're focused on those jobs for students, right? You're, you're only as good um, as your grads. And we all want grads to get out there and work, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, we're committed to making certain uh, that our students have uh, and, and our graduates have a very uh, strong uh, case to be made as they enter the, the world of work, that they're going to be able to have the skills that there are necessary, soft skills and, uh, and uh, the more formal skills as well. But, you know, one thing that I think we've, we've lost in our conversation about ROI uh, and as we've become so reductive on just exactly how people fit into the economy, that's extremely important. And I don't want to downplay it. I mean, we, we all want to pay our mortgage and we all want to be able to, to uh, provide for, uh, for our family and ourselves and our friends. Uh, but that said, you know, I don't think we need to lose the, the impulse uh, of, of what higher education can do, which is to help us to develop a much more uh, sophisticated and, and multifaceted kind of, uh, kind of identity. Uh, and uh, so in many ways, I think uh, by benefit of, of being in structured conversations, uh, learning from the past, but also uh, thinking about how we take the great deep lessons of the human experience and apply them to a world that is changing so quickly, um, I think we actually come to know ourselves better. And uh, I, I hope we don't ever lose that sense that, that higher education also has a very existential uh, kind of quality to it. Uh, we, we are developing uh, hu as human beings. And uh, that means we're developing economically, we're developing socially. But uh, in, that great, um, in that great challenge to know thyself, uh, higher education helps us do that. A year ago, when we were on episode, I don't know, probably in the double digits, um, <clears throat> having and talking to higher ed leaders, and we were we were going, "What's your fall term going to look like with this coronavirus craziness happening around you?" And we'd have people say, "Oh, we're we, we don't care. We're going back to you know, all, we're going back to on ground, or we're we're going to stay online." Here we are, a year later, um, uh, we're still having the same question to our higher ed leaders of what is fall uh, return. Uh, look like or will look like for you, depending on when you bring students back or, or whatever. How do you navigate that right now with uh, Delta variant and masks and, you know, uh, not to say that our, our, um, our information that we get seems spotty, depending on, you know, which way you look. It's like one thing from one news source, another thing from another news source and you, John, in the middle, having to sift through all of this information and, and, make decisions for students. It's what, what a honor, privilege, and, and responsibility that you have as a college president. What are you guys doing at Emory and Henry? Well, uh, to be sure, you know, everything that you've, uh, that you've described there is, uh, it has been experienced at Emory and Henry. I mean, it's a complicated time. Um, you know, we're excited. We, we actually welcome the largest, um, the largest entering class at Emory and Henry 
uh, in its 185-year history. So uh, we were blessed uh, with a very uh, significant uh, uptick in our enrollment. But um, Can I ask you why you think that happened? Why, why do you think you had such a, a, a blessing of a great enrollment class? I think there are a variety of reasons. I mean, as a, um, as a, as a um, administrative team and as a board of trustees, we had really uh, worked on a strategic plan that, uh, that was really guided and, and given a whole lot of innovation and creativity by our faculty uh, and uh, really anticipating uh, how to become more flexible and how to become more nimble. Uh, and that strategic plan has, uh, we, we, uh, the board passed that prior to, um, uh, to COVID, uh, but, it, but it served us well. And uh, some of the aspects of it, uh, the central philosophical aspect of it was recognizing that there, there are no silver bullets in higher education. You know, when we, when we look at how we turn around enrollment uh, or we consider how, how it is that we need to grow a college, um, you know, the, the reality is there is no one thing that is going to stand up and forever solve the problem of enrollment at uh, small private colleges. Um, so it has, to, it has to happen on a, uh, on a whole um, long spectrum. And so Emory and Henry is transitioning to Division II athletics. Uh, we're launching a new school of business. Uh, we're, launching, uh, we're launching a new uh, standalone uh, BSN nursing program. We're building on the existing strengths that we've had as a liberal arts institution uh, and uh, finding ways to connect uh, in a very deliberate way uh, our liberal arts curriculum to the world of work. Uh, we were the uh, beneficiaries of a very uh, generous gift um, from uh, a gentleman by the name of John Van Vlissingen, who has allowed us to really establish one of the most robust career service centers uh, that you're going to find in, uh, in small colleges. And so it's, it's really the combination of a whole variety of things. Uh, and they, they all relate to one another in the sense that it is taking uh, classical and traditional education and trying to, to give it practical, uh, practical application in the, in the world. Uh, but it's, it's been with all of those things together that, uh, that we've really been able to grow as an institution. But we certainly, even with all that good news and with all the excitement that we have on campus, uh, we are still keeping a very close eye on, uh, on the Delta variant. We're, um, we're fortunate. Um, uh, most of our student body is, uh, uh, is vaccinated. Uh, much of our, um, our faculty and staff are vaccinated. And, uh, you know, we're, but we're certainly keeping an eye on it. And we're, we're, we're going back to uh, strongly urging um, the use of masks and um, social distancing and, and frequent hand washing and all of the things over the course of the last 18 months that we've all, all become quite familiar with. You know, if you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want. All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, 
The team in MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. MDTmarketing.com slash add up. What's most spectacular about what you just did there, John, is that I literally interrupted you midway through my your, your answer. And not only did you nail it, you came back around and answered my original question. Well done, because I, I'm pretty impressed. I forgot that I had asked you about the coronavirus by the time you were done answering the enrollment question. Well, well done. That's like a, a point to John right there. Well, well done, my friend. Thank you. Only a college president can do that, right? Uh, right. You gotta, you gotta have a, a good memory. That's a skill. You get special training in doing that. Uh, That's as right. Well. So, what's uh, tell me about Emory and Henry? What's your what's your star program? Uh, what 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 are you guys uh, you kind of known for out there? Is there a particular program or or pathway that defines your your institution? Yeah, we've got uh, uh, the institution traditionally. Uh, with its liberal arts curriculum has been, uh, ha has produced uh, ministers for the United Methodist Church. Uh, we were founded uh, by Methodists in 1836 and we remain part of the, uh, the Methodist connection. Um, so we've, we've, we have traditionally done that and, and uh, uh, school teachers and, and people uh, who are staffing not-for-profits and, and uh, but we also uh, as an institution made a decision about 15 years ago that we were really going to move in the direction of health sciences. And um, this institution is really fortunate to be in a place like Southwest Virginia. Um, this, is a, uh, this is an area that is uh, absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's a place where uh, people retire to the mountains. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a place where uh, you know, uh, younger families are beginning to discover the, uh, the high uh, quality of life here. And so, uh, but as that is occurring, the healthcare needs of this region uh, are continuing to, to, uh, to ramp up. And so Emory and Henry wants to be a partner with, uh, with all of our good neighbors here in Southwest Virginia. And, um, you know, so health sciences is a strong uh, emphasis uh, where we went uh, a little over a decade ago. And uh, so we actually have a campus, our main campus is in Emory, Virginia, uh, about 20, uh, 26 uh, miles um, above the Tennessee line on the Virginia side. But then uh, about 20 miles north of that is the town of Marion, Virginia, and uh, a very fine town. And uh, the partnership between Emory and Henry and the town of Marion has been really, really helpful. Uh, we took the, uh, the old hospital uh, that had been in, uh, in Marion, and we transformed that into a school of health sciences. And that town has really embraced, um, Marion has really embraced the health sciences. And our students um, who are coming through that program, those, those various uh, uh, physical therapy, uh, physician assistant, occupational therapy, they've really come to love uh, Marion, Virginia as well. And many will stay in the area. So Emory and Henry is known for uh, a strong emphasis on the natural sciences, the health sciences, and uh, certainly has its uh, its tradition in uh, in the liberal arts as well. So what, let's let's talk about let's uh, let's talk about what keeps you up at night, John. What what you know um, the job of a university president is not an easy one, especially in these times. You know where uh, there's a there's a, a kind of a, a lot of literature coming uh, recently about a, a exodus uh, from higher ed leadership positions as higher ed leaders. 
have gotten tired. Many college presidents are thinking about retirement or alternative careers. I mean, the job of a higher ed administrator, especially at the highest level, is harder than it ever has been before. What are you worried about? Like, what, what keeps you up at night and what keeps you coming back the next day? Well, there, there are a variety of things. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, just as you laid it out is, is, is exactly right. I mean, anyone who is in uh, a position of, um, of being the leader of an institution of higher learning, having come through COVID and uh, all of the, uh, the, the various uh, uh, difficulties of the past several years, uh, anyone who tells you that, that it has been easy will probably lie about other things too. Um, it's a it's a difficult uh, position, but what makes it so rewarding and makes you want to come back to it over and over uh, it really uh, really has to do with with several things. I mean, um, one, uh, I know that uh, um, Southwest Virginia needs Emory and Henry, and Emory and Henry needs Southwest Virginia. That relationship is so close, and it's so rewarding. Uh, it really is. It really is a great thing when people have such a, a high regard for the college and people at the college have such a high regard for the community. Uh, but but the faculty at Emory and Henry uh, as well, I can't say enough about them. I mean, faculty are, um, you know, they are, are by their very nature, very interesting people. And um, so it's it's always great to be able to uh, to engage with with people who are uh, really committed to, uh, to, to doing great things and, and uh, great conversationalists. But then the students, um, I, I hope that doesn't sound like a, a pat answer, but, uh, because really the reality is the students, they, they, do keep, they do keep you on your toes. And, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of unfair criticism, I think, of this generation of, uh, of students. What I find are young people who are resilient, uh, I find young people who are intellectually curious, um, they have a different approach to learning than uh, we've seen in the past, uh, but there's, there's a, uh, a moral uh, and just uh, idealism to, for, for that many of our students possess. And uh, so all of those things really make uh, being a college president really a, a very, very worthwhile endeavor. It's hard work, it's, it, there are a lot of hours, and there are a lot of different constituencies with which to engage. Uh, but that said, um, it really is it really is the best job you can have in the world. Shaping the minds of young leaders, right? I mean, that is what we do as higher education administrators and, and or we at least hire the people that help to shape the lives of the young, the young leaders, try to hire great faculty and staff to, to take care of all those things. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's for me too, as a, uh, I, I'm a COO, uh, executive vice president with a graduate university and to see those students get get through a program and get out there and really start affecting the world in a better way uh, is what it's all about and what keeps you coming back. And, and when you said the students ch challenging, keep you on your toes, it's such a great way to say it because it's, it's so much deeper than, than that it is. They really keep you on your toes. They, they really do. Well, you know, when patience you... <laughs> and, and make you happy and make you sad and pull on your emotions is all, all of that together. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, this, with this generation of students, I mean, they came, they came into the world um, after 9-11, you know, they experienced the, uh, the, the economic downturn uh, of 2008-2009 that was so severe. You know, they've seen, uh, they've seen uh, social stress and division. 
the COVID crisis. I mean, it is, and, and all the while, massive changes in the economy, uh, different ways in which we communicate with one another. Uh, and, and so for, th for this generation of students to really come into a higher education setting, um, they really have an awful lot to teach us uh, who are administrators and faculty and staff. And, uh, you know, it is our job to be uh, intellectual growth facilitators, but at the same time, uh, we'll do ourselves a disservice if we don't have our minds open and our ears open uh, to hear what our students have to say. They, they, are, they are very much a part of the conversation. And to have, have students who have primarily approached the world through the screen with um, you know, those of us who've, who've been in the world a while, having primarily approached the world through the page, um, they're, they're very different vantage points. Uh, and, and we certainly can, uh, can learn from one another. That's a approach, approach college through a screen versus approach it through a page. I mean, I've never heard it put quite that way, but that is the truth. And you don't have to go back that far I mean, 20 years or so. And, and, and when you were choosing a college, you were choosing it out of a book, literally, it would have stats on that university. And it would tell you, um, you know, your number of students in each classroom and all about that student, you know, 25 years ago. And now it's, it is overwhelming amounts of information that a student has to navigate through as they look at their their choice for um, as they make their educational journey. How do you ensure that you stay differentiated, John? Because you know it, whether it's financial model change, alternative revenue streams, the sustainability of a college and university is a big deal, right? Especially as you see some colleges able not, not able to navigate the challenges of coronavirus and, and they've merged or closed. It, it, is that something that your eyes are on, your, board, your board's eyes are on is, you know, what does this look like sustainability into the future? Is it, is it your donations that uh, created a nice endowment for you guys? Are you looking at alternative models? Are you looking at it, alternative programs of delivery of methodology and so on? Yeah, we, all of those things are, are, uh, are certainly on our radar screen and, and we're like everyone else. I mean, you, you've got to You've got to think about what alternative um, alternative revenue streams look like. That, but alternative revenue streams that don't take you so far afield from your mission that you uh, sort of muddle the the reasons that you're uh, that you're here in the world. Uh, but we, but most assuredly, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that uh, we're so fortunate to have here at Emory and Henry is a, is a board of trustees that uh, is very practically minded. And uh, but at the same time has a has an eye on strategic thinking as well, and uh, and so you know they encourage they encourage um, the administration uh, to be innovative and to be creative and to think about uh, ways of doing things. And I and I think one of the one of the things that we have to realize is that we all were uh, were given a lesson I think last year when our faculties all across higher education, but I was, I was absolutely in awe of the faculty at Emory and Henry because literally in 72 hours, they moved the entire curriculum to online and uh, in the midst of the beginning of the pandemic. And um, it was just, it was dramatic how quickly they, they changed. And, you know, the reality is in higher education where you have all of the vagaries of uh, multi-layered uh, governance, um, we have to have that emphasis though on flexibility and, uh, and on innovation and an ability to be nimble 
uh, we've got to think in a nimble way and we've got to be able to move. And I think uh, increasingly uh, we can go back and look at those that, that week sometime in the middle of March to 2020 as a reminder that, um, that we can make, uh, make quick and decisive changes in uh, higher education. And we're gonna, we're gonna have to have that mindset. Love it. We ask our guests uh, two final questions in every episode. And so I wanna ask you those two questions now. John, number one, what did we miss about Emory and Henry College that you'd wanna say? Anything that you thought you would talk about today, but I did a terrible job and didn't ask you. Uh, any initiatives you have going on? Uh, anything that's coming up, basically your, your, uh, your point uh, is here to plug your university, what, what, uh, what's special about you guys. And number two, what is the future of higher education going to look like? Well, I would say um, as it relates to, to Emory and Henry, I think you've done a good job in, in, uh, in, in letting me speak to its, uh, to its unique uh, place in higher education. I would say this, um, I think the fact that this institution is, is well over 80% residential uh, and, um, you know, we, we have 16 different uh, nations that are represented here. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, two dozen states that are represented here at, uh, at Emory and Henry. Uh, we have traditional learners. We've got graduate students. Uh, we've got students who, uh, uh, who are really coming um, coming up with, with very cutting edge kinds of uh, research questions. Uh, it is a very, um, even though it's a small place, it's a very diverse place and uh, a very pluralistic place uh, where multiple perspectives are, uh, are considered. Uh, and those soft skills of learning how to live together uh, and how to forge an academic community, that happens every day at Emory & Henry. And I've always said, you know, uh, one of the things that, that every institution has got to do is even when it's making changes and it's in a period of evolution, it really does have to remember what its mission is. And it's got to double down on that. That's, that's got to be somewhere in the, uh, the heart of what we do. And I've always, I've always thought, you know, you can get uh, higher education in a, in a vast variety of ways. And um, but there's something about the, the very uh, individualistic personal touch. And I know that's said at a lot of institutions, but at Emory and Henry, it's very, very fundamentally true. And, um, you know, it's, I, I liken it to this. I mean, you can, uh, you can get a store-bought blanket and it can keep you warm at night, but at a small college, it's, it's really the family quilt. And uh, so there's that value added um, to, uh, to the experience. So, uh, Emory and Henry is in a beautiful place taking, uh, age old learning and making it cutting edge and, uh, and practical at the same time. And, uh, it really is a unique, uh, a unique place. Future of higher education. And the future of higher education. Um, I think, uh, I, I think there will always have to be, um, a recognition that, technology is going to be front and center in our conversations. Um, we have only just begun, I think, to really come to the ramifications about virtual reality, artificial intelligence, uh, the various uh, pedagogical uh, techniques that one must develop uh, when using technology in the classroom. In a lot of ways, it's a very, very exciting time to be in higher ed, but it's, it's not uh, for those who lack courage. Uh, we're going to have to, to really be pragmatic 
and uh, there are going to be avenues that we that we walk down that uh, that might not be productive. Uh, but I think uh, we have to uh, to have a very pragmatic approach and recognize that uh, higher ed is going to be part of uh, uh, employment restructuring uh, moving on. I mean, we've all seen the articles uh, that suggest that a significant part of the workforce has uh, made the decision either to leave the job that uh, that they're in or try to do that job in a different way, whether it be at a distance or at alternative hours. Uh, so there's an awful lot of economic restructuring that is that has been set into motion by the pandemic. Higher education will do well to be uh, to be part of that and to to, to catch that wave. Uh, and at the same time, I think um, at a time where um, you know it's conversation sometimes is difficult and our public discourse is perhaps a little more coarse uh, than we would like to see it. Uh, higher education has a responsibility to, to really model what it means to be a citizen and what it means to, uh, to really regard another human being with whom you're in a conversation as, uh, as a person of, uh, of, of deep worth and value and, uh, and that we should model what it means to be engaged in, uh, in conversation with one another. I love it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, has been another amazing episode of the EdUp Experience podcast with Dr. John W. Wells. W stands for wizard. And that's what he is for remembering <laughs> to answer that question um, uh, that I asked, the double-barreled question as, they, as you'd have it. President of Emory and Henry College. Check them out. Uh, John, what's the website? Uh, it's ehc.edu. They're doing uh, great work. Uh, I love the picture on the website of the of the uh, the young student up on the top of a mountain. Uh, smart marketing because that implies like space now, and space is a real concern for people that they can get what they want and do it in open spaces. And colleges like Emory and Henry, uh, in, in areas and mountainous areas and rural areas, you can really do that. You can get your education and and have that social distancing experience uh, while being on campus. And and I think that's an important value proposition these days for small private universities, uh, don't you, John? Oh, no doubt about it. All right, guys. Uh, again, John W. Wells, uh, president of Emory and Henry College. This has been another episode of the Ed of Experience podcast. Thank you so much. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your audience? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience responds to? Are you spending more time building reports than listening in on what your audience wants? These are not easy questions to answer. That's why our great friends at MDT Marketing are offering a free audit of your marketing efforts. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com edup and submit your information for your free consultation today. Look, guys, you got nothing to lose. It's free. I don't know why you wouldn't want a free audit to tell you what you're doing, whether it's effective, and how you can make some incremental changes that can make a big difference moving forward. That's www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup.